Today, could we have, would you stand with me, please? As we begin worshiping the Lord and singing praises, that's what we're here for today.
Would you turn to your neighbor, just say hello, tell them you are glad to be here with us today.
and worshiping. I was just asking God for a verse that would talk about this song, and he brought to mind a verse that we all know, John 3, 16. It says in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes on him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. This song talks about how deeply God loves you. And as we sing it this morning, let's truly worship the God that loves us so.
song. God, it tells us what you did for us, Lord, and without the ransom that you paid, we would not be spending eternity in heaven with you for those that believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. God, we thank you for the words of this song and help us not to forget each and every day how deep your love is for us. We love you. Amen. You can be seated, please. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Do you say the Nazarene himself healed him, not God? I say he was healed by God in the name of Jesus Christ, whom God resurrected from death. You're There was no healing, only deception. We know that this, this miracle was nothing more than theater with actors playing roles to falsely glorify their dead Nazarene. today please to the book of Acts book of Acts chapter 3 in the foyer of the church there are some little flyers that advertise uh, these movies this program on Sunday night on NBC uh, you can pick one up and invite a friend to watch it you know we don't often endorse Hollywood but uh, we are really pretty happy about them uh, at least bringing the name of Jesus Christ out in public. And uh, we can engage people in this conversation with them and invite them to church to hear more about what they're trying to portray uh, on TV. So uh, today we're in Acts chapter 3, and I'd like to talk to you about a day in the life of the church. Verse number 1, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, 
the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. You know, usually when you uh, go to Walmart or one of these stores, there's sometimes there's somebody outside the door asking you for a donation for their good cause, and I think some of them look pretty good to me. But oftentimes what we do is we kind of like, we don't want to uh, have eye contact with them because that means more discussion, doesn't it? And so as soon as we see them standing there, we just kind of look away and, and go on our way. But here we find that uh, Peter said, look at us. And that was a good sign for this one who needed something to eat, really. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand. And lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's Greatly Amazed. This is a very unique day in the life of this church. This is the first church, the early church, we call it, the apostolic church. And this story begins with a miracle. You know, we love miracles stories, don't we? Uh, we all want to see miracles. We believe that we serve a God of miracles. Uh, he, uh, that's his business. He's good at it. Uh, and uh, we all love to see a miracle take place in someone's life. But no matter how many times you read these passages of Scripture right here, it thrills us to see God using these very ordinary people, the disciples, to take his miracles and his message to every strata of society. You know, the beautiful thing about John 3.16, it's like for everyone. Nobody is excluded. And so here we find uh, Peter and John going up to the temple, and, and here's this one who was the very lowest strata of society, uh, someone that just really had to beg to survive. And just in a minute, they're going to be standing before the very highest strata of society. That's the Sanhedrin Council. It doesn't get any bigger and higher than that. Those people were especially financially fixed. This chapter opens with two very familiar New Testament figures, Peter and John. Remember, they were a part of that inner circle, Peter, James, and John, that did special things with Jesus throughout his ministry. Uh, they were eyewitnesses of all that, were, that was done. They were definitely convinced that Jesus was alive. And this was their passion right now. They wanted to tell everybody, listen, that cross experience that happened about six weeks ago, that's, that was past, and now we have a new day dawning. Uh, Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. We talked to him. We saw him. 
Uh, you know, oftentimes we're intimidated by these biblical characters, Peter and John. Uh, we shouldn't be, really, because the Bible says they were just ordinary people like you and like me. Uh, but they served, of course, an, uh, a God who did special things through ordinary people. Uh, what would we be doing in these circumstances? You know what I think? I think we would be doing the same thing they're doing. I think we would be out there trying to tell people, hey, listen, wake up. Jesus is alive. This story opens with these two men doing their daily spiritual routine. And that opens the door to lots of spiritual opportunities. Uh, and you know, the daily spiritual routine sometimes seems kind of mundane, uh, just ordinary, unexciting. But you know, it always leads in the right direction. If you will develop in your life a spiritual routine, God will use you in a pretty nice way. That's what happened here. Uh, they were in their routine of things, and they were going up to the temple to pray. It's prayer time, really, for them. Uh, it was a specific prayer time. And I think it's good to have specific spare prayer times in our life. And the reason why I say that is because if you have a specific time that you meet God in prayer, you're not going to skip your prayer time. You're going to make it. It's going to happen. But if you let prayer become, in your words, spontaneous, that's, that's good. Uh, oftentimes you'll find that it's not happening too spontaneously for you because Satan will try to fill your life with so many things that you will not even have time to think about the things of God. And so the nation of Israel, they had a custom. And their custom was to stop their life three times a day to talk to God. And uh, one of their verses was Psalm 55, 17. Evening and morning at noon, and I will pray and cry aloud, and the Lord will hear my voice. Nine o'clock in the morning, noon, and 3 p.m. in the afternoon. You know, throughout history, Israel has practiced the pattern of prayer unashamedly. And it can, continues to this day. Just a little bit over a month ago, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, came to our country to talk to the Congress about the evil desires of Iran to destroy the nation of Israel and America. But before he came to our country, he came to the Wailing Wall in Israel. And he prayed to God that God would send him on a holy mission to America to convince Americans that this threat from Iran is really real. But most people don't know that when he came to our country to speak to the Congress, he also brought the book of Esther to be given as a gift to our government. And what he was saying when he gave the book of Esther to our government is we're asking America to be our Esther, to save us from extermination from Iran, just like she saved our country in her day from the extermination of the Jews in Persia. And so, you know, I pat the nation of Israel on the back. They're not ashamed to pray. They're not ashamed to pray to God. There are many illustrations in the Bible of the nation of Israel at prayer. Remember, in Iran, again, there was this 
this leader called Darius. And uh, his associates around him tricked him into making a law. It's called the Law of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, made a law that if anybody failed to not worship him in 30 days, they'd be thrown into the den of lions. And in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, it says this. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees, listen to this, three times a day. And he prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since his early days. The Jews had a custom from childhood. We pray three times a day at least. That's a minimum. Evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. Uh, nothing or no one would keep Daniel from praying to God three times a day. And then there was Peter, remember? Acts chapter 10. At the time for his noonday prayers, he went up under the top of the house and he did what you and I do sometimes. He fell asleep before he prayed. Well, you know, not all the days of the church are as exciting as this one. Many are uneventful. But my message to you this morning is this. Out of our spiritual habits, ministry is born. If you will develop the habit of prayer, meeting with God in worship, God will open up surprising things for you in your personal life. And that's what counts anyway. Now, this prayer time, what was it about in the temple? It was about the atmosphere of worship. You know, worship is a wonderful thing. We do a lot of worship in our world today. Do you, do you know that? We rave about things that we love. We get on this hobby horse or that hobby horse, and that's all we want to talk about. Hey, do you know about this? Do you know about that? Well, worship is uh, raving, raving about God. That's what worship is. Worship is raving God, lifting him up, first of all to him and then to others. Uh, they were thinking about worshiping God at the hour of prayer. They loved to be in this environment. And when, they, when you get in that environment, spiritual opportunities open up to you. Well, uh, this opportunity for them was a healing. You know, healings come in different sizes and shapes. In the Bible, we have physical healing. That's good. We crave that, don't we? I think probably everybody in this church right now is praying for a friend who needs a physical touch from God. Uh, there's probably no one left out in that category. Uh, maybe it's your own physical touch from God that you need. Maybe it's for a friend, but it's, we, we believe that God does reach down from time to time and heal us, don't we? We believe in that. But the greatest healing is not physical, it is spiritual. Because what should a prophet a man if he get well physically and lose his own soul? And so the greatest healing is spiritual. Now this crippled beggar, this was the best day of his life. He was going to be healed by God. Miracles in the Bible were platforms that disciples used to give the words of life. And uh, boy, I've read this chapter with new eyes recently. Peter really did preach a powerful message. And he told them that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was alive. God mightily used Peter in a wonderful way. Remember on the day of Pentecost, he got up and he was filled with the power of God. And at the end of his message, 3,000 people accepted Christ as their Savior. 
Now the Bible says even more people are coming to God through his preaching. Uh, he is telling this wonderful message. And you know, up until this time, the church was really gaining traction. In fact, the Bible says that the people at large were in favor of the church. But things now are start to change. Roadblocks to the gospel are around the corner. Whenever good things happen in a person's life, you know, it seems like always there's a roadblock right around the corner. This, by the way, is the first persecution of the church. Uh, Acts 2.47 says, the people enjoy the favor of the people up until this time. And so here we find the leaders coming against Peter and John, the leaders of the Sanhedrin council. This council was made up of 70 members plus the high priest. And uh, their job was to, to rule in civil and criminal cases. But they couldn't impose the death penalty because Rome ruled the land and they were the only ones that could impose the death penalty. That's why the Sanhedrin took Jesus to Pilate and said, listen, Pilate, we want your stamp of approval on what we want to do here. And you know that Pilate finally gave in. Well, the majority of people on the Sanhedrin were Sadducees. And they didn't believe in a future life. They didn't believe in a resurrection. Someone told me years ago that's why they were Sadducee. They didn't believe in a future life. And uh, they were incensed that uh, Peter and John would preach about the resurrection because that was going every, against everything that they believed. And in spite of this, the Bible says many people believed. There were many believers coming into the kingdom of God. Uh, and so... It was nighttime, and uh, they decided, listen, uh, let's just throw them in jail for the night. Maybe that'll help them out. Maybe they'll stop preaching. Uh, but in verse number four, uh, the scripture says, many believe. Chapter four, verse four. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, this is interesting. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that there were about 6,000 Pharisees in Israel. Now, that's not many. That's a small group of people. And so now, at this time in history, there are 5,000 men that have accepted Christ. And so if we want to maybe do a little bit of math, we could say maybe all of them were married. I don't know. But let's say 5,000 women and their wives and a couple kids for each family. We're up to 20,000 people. This thing called Christianity is out of control in our land. We are losing our spiritual status. Well, um, they threw them in jail, and in the morning they brought them back out. They assembled the, the people together uh, with Annas, Caiaphas, and the other members of the Sanhedrin. And look at verse number 8 of chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. What does the filling of the Holy Spirit do? It raised him from above the fear of men. That's what the filling of the Spirit did then, and that's what it does now. You know, you and I, are we are very fearful. We really are. We're afraid to bring up the topic, the saving message of Jesus Christ, oftentimes, because we're afraid of rejection. 
We're afraid that we don't have the right words, always. How many times have you heard that? I just don't know if I could put the right words together. I'm just so fearful in effect to do this. The filling of the Spirit eradicates some of the fear of preaching the gospel. The filling of the Spirit raised him above the fear of men, and it gave him an unusual power that uh, was not his own to do spiritual things. They ask him, the Sanhedrin that is, in whose name did you do this? And uh, he was certainly happy to respond to, the, to that question. He said here that uh, this name, the name that this man has been healed in, is the name of Jesus. And then he started preaching from the Old Testament and looked down at verse number 11. He, he goes back into the Old Testament and he said, now Jesus is mentioned in the Old Testament. He's portrayed as a stone. And that's a metaphor which depicts, among other attributes, the strength and the reliability of Jesus. He's quoting here in verse number 11, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You know, in ancient times, the cornerstone was the most significant stone in the building. Uh, it set the level, the angle, the outer dimensions of the building. It had to be level and squared, true vertically, so that all the other stones could be set from it. And if it were not level, then the walls of the building were erected, they would lean and fall. And so it's interesting that this particular metaphor would be used of Christ. Uh, that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. You know, I believe that churches come and go. If you've lived long enough, you know that to be true. You drive down the road and we used to say, well, that church used to be there and that church was over here and that church used to be there. Churches come and go, but the church is here to stay. It's here to stay because Jesus is the cornerstone. The walls will not collapse on the church. Uh, he's not only the cornerstone, but uh, he is the foundation of the church too. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For there is no other foundation than anyone can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is also mentioned in the Bible as the living stone. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 4, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men and chosen by God and precious. But to the nation of Israel, he really wasn't those things. He was the stone of stumbling. 1 Peter 2.8 A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled over Jesus. They fell. Uh, Spurgeon said that the reason why is because Jesus did not come as they expected him to come as a Messiah. Uh, he didn't have all of the uh, normal regalia, the privileges, the pomp and circumstance that comes from a king. Isaiah said he comes like this. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He didn't look like a king. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And so he describes 
Jesus as a stone from the Old Testament, prophecy of Christ. And then he gets right to the heart of what you and I love to talk to people about, and that's in verse 12. Nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ is the Savior, and he's the only one. Now, this is a radical thought to the nation of Israel because, remember, they had this complicated set of rules and regulations which they were always editing and they were always changing. And it always seemed to get harder and harder for people to please God. And Peter said, listen, this is something really easy. It's just in the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father it's only in the name of Jesus and so Peter's having the best day of his life as a Christian minister he's preaching to the Sanhedrin can you imagine that would be comparable to go into the Supreme Court of the United States and see those nine justices across there and say, now listen, let me tell you about the greatest story ever told. Pretty powerful, right? From a man who was running away from Christ, denying Christ, but now remember, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enables people to rise above the fear of men in every generation not just their generation. Did Peter win the debate here? Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. Uh, not too long ago, Ken Ham, the creationist, and Bill Nye, the science guy, faced off here in our country. And many people were looking at that debate, and we were all talking about it. And at the end, you know, people were saying, well, who won that debate? Was it the creationist? Was, the, was it the science guy? Well, it all depended on who you talk to, right? Uh, you know, there are a lot of great minds in our country, which I thank God for. I was talking to my youngest son, Steve, the other day, and uh, he was talking to me about his favorite preachers. He does a lot of traveling in his work, and he's in the car, and he says, you know, my favorite preacher is Ravi Zachariah. And I thought to myself, I thought I was the favorite <laughs> preacher of my son, he said, my favorite preacher is Ravi Zachariah. And I thought, well, maybe I'll come in second somewhere. He said, my second favorite is David Jeremiah. I said, oh, well, I don't know if I'm even on the scale. It's all right with me. I'm glad he's listening to the right kind of people. We have some really good pastors and Bible teachers in our country, and I'm excited about what they do for Christ. Uh, I don't know who won the debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye, but I remember the discussion after that debate was over. Christians were all excited, and this was the reason they were excited. He preached the gospel to the people that watched. That's what Christians were excited about, because it's the gospel that changes the heart. It's not winning a debate necessarily. Now, we like to win a debate, but it's the gospel that opens up the heart, right? It's the message of Christ. Well... Uh, that's what Peter was doing right here. I don't know if he was winning or not. But uh, they came to the place and they said, listen, we have to, this has to stop. 
And so in verse number 17, they said, listen, stop preaching. Satan has always tried to get you and me to stop preaching. And here's the reason why. The gospel has to be shared verbally. Verbally. And I know that it's so easy for all of us to say, listen, I live the Christian life. I pay my bills on time. I have a good reputation. I have do this. That's all, that's all fine. But that's supposed to be supportive. Supplement. A supplement to the verbal preaching of the gospel. We need to be preachers of the gospel. And I know that you, our congregation, each week go into all sorts of every type situation and you have so many opportunities. Don't miss those opportunities. Uh, they said, don't preach the gospel. And then Peter got, went, went back at them and said, now listen, are we going to obey the law of God or your law? That's a good question. That's a question that you have to answer and I have to answer. And we're going to be answering this a whole lot more in the days ahead. Uh, remember the, the midwives in Egypt. They refused to take the lives of those little infants that were being born. Remember, it was a law of the state to take the lives of the babies. Midwives, midwives said, we won't do it. In 2011, there were 12 nurses in a New Jersey hospital. You know what they did? They said, we can't do these abortions here at this hospital. We can't do it. And uh, they put a lot of pressure on these nurses to continue to do those abortions. And so the nurses took the hospital to court. And uh, the nurses won their court case. They said, listen, there's a higher law than the law of the state. It's the law of God. It's the law of God. And so they chose that higher law. Uh, Rahab, remember, harbored the spies. It was, the, it was against the law. She harbored the spies in her house to take care of them. Corrie ten Boon was in the Dutch underground in Holland. And she had a special place in her house called the hiding place, where they took the Jews that they were being hunted down uh, and put into cattle cars and sent to concentration camps in Germany. And she saved a lot of those Jews, but eventually somebody turned her family in and she and her sister Betsy were arrested and sent to Ravensbrück in Germany. And in that concentration camp, Betsy died. But Corey lived on to tell the story. And she wrote the book, The Hiding Place. I love it. If you've never read that book, you have to read that book. Uh, she defied the law of the state. God's law is higher. And that's what Peter and John was doing. They said, listen, we have a commission from God. God told us to go tell this message. You can't stop us. There's a higher law. After that, they came back. They were released. They came back to the church. And the church is a place of encouragement. Uh, everybody needs a church. It's in the church we're recharged. It's in the environment of the church. And you know, the church needs each other, too. I was looking the other day, and someone said there are 54 one another's in the New Testament that teaches us how to relate to each other, to love each other, to care for each other, to lift each other up, to be kind to each other. It just goes on and on. We need each other in the church. They came back and they told their story. And right after that, they went into a prayer meeting. Leonard Ravenhill, 
said this, the place the Christian stops for refueling is prayer. They came back from preaching to the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. They were excited and they were afraid. And they called out to God, and in verse number 24, look what it says. And when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord. Now the word Lord there is not the usual word in the original language for Lord. The usual word is kurios. This is despotes, from which we get the English word despot translated in some of the Bibles, Sovereign Lord. Oh, Sovereign Lord. And so they were looking at God in that light. They had all of this confusion going on around them and all of this fear in their heart, but they were appealing to God because He's over everything. And He knows everything. And in verse number 28, turn there quickly. They said, Lord to do whatever your hand and your purpose determine before to be done. Because they saw these circumstances that they were going through in light of God's word, they could recognize that the wrath of man never operated outside the sphere of God's control. Uh, these enemies of Jesus could, do, could only do what the hand of God allowed them to do. Now, isn't that consoling? The Lord's people said, Amen. Well, this brings, brings real peace to our life. I guess I could oversimplify it by saying this. If it's okay with God, it's okay with me. God is in control. Do you know that? Uh, he's not missing out on anything. And you know, they, they prayed to the Lord, despotes. They prayed to the sovereign Lord, and you know, they only had one request in their prayer, and it was for boldness. They didn't ask God for comfort. They expected more trouble. They asked for things that led to confrontation. Philip Brooks said this, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be, pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for the powers equal to your tasks. That's why the early, that's the way the early Christians prayed. And that's the way God's people should pray today. Uh, their prayer was answered. Now, now follow me this morning, please. Their prayer was answered. Uh, Lord, we know you're in charge. Uh, we're not looking for comfort. We're looking for boldness. You see, they, their life was absorbed in obeying God. It was just absolutely absorbed in that. Uh, let's look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember the Holy Spirit's filling enables you and me today to rise above the fear of men. We are all fearful until the filling of the Holy Spirit rests upon us. And we become controlled, impelled, compelled by the Spirit to do God's work in the world. Well, they came back to the church and they, had, they did not have any advantages that we had today. 
the only thing they had was God Almighty. Well, that's a pretty good thing to have. Well, the church began to be isolated from the world around us, and persecution was coming around. And the Bible says they had all things in common. They brought their, their belongings together, and they pulled them together, and they started to meet the needs of the people in the church because the people in the church began to lose their jobs because of their faith. And the church needed to take care of them. And some people have come to this passage of Scripture and said, said, well, isn't that communism? When you put all your stuff together and you distribute it. Well, communism says what's yours is mine and I'll take it. It's called forced wealth redistribution. Christian charity says what's mine is yours and I'll share it with you. It's voluntary. That's what the church did. Uh, they came together and they had a community of goods. It wasn't compulsory. It was voluntary. And uh, these people loved each other dearly. And I think today, as our world continues to get so evil around us, that all of our churches, ours included, will be drawn closer and closer together because we will be more and more isolated from this world around us. But it will not stop us from obeying the law of God, the law of God, because His law is higher. They met each other's needs. They cared for each other. That's the ministry of the church. We have to care for each other. We have to make sure our church is strong because the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest right here. So let's give ourselves to that. Uh, this is what happens in a church. It all begins with the church's spiritual routine. Do you have a routine? Uh, do you have a time of prayer? You'll say, okay, it's 9 o'clock. This is when I pray. Shut the, t take the phone off the hook. We don't have phones on hooks anymore, do we? I, I, forgot about that. I forgot about that. I have one. We don't even look at it at home. Don't call me on that phone, okay? Uh, call me on the one that is imprinted on my side, okay? Uh, do we have a time to pray? Let's make times of pray. Evening, morning, and at noon while I pray and cry aloud. And, uh, you know, when we have a spiritual, when we have a spiritual routine, uh, we can then be filled with the Spirit. And we can have what we, what we crave as a Christian to be used by God. The filling of the Spirit. And then we can really care for each other as a church. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, this whole story of Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 began with two simple, plain, ordinary people, Peter and John. But they were going to the temple to pray they would not be denied that time that they spent with God Almighty. And God just so happened to open this tremendous opportunity for them to raise this man through the power of God up on his feet and then to eventually preach the good news of the resurrected Christ to the Supreme Court. 
What a day. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It begins with your spiritual habits, your routine. Do you have one? Don't miss it. Take time each day for God. Prioritize that time. And then they came together in the church, and it was there that they were recharged. Never underestimate the power of the church, the meaning of the church in your life. It's where we come together to rub shoulders once again and to recharge, uh, to encourage each other to go back out into the world and to share his wonderful message. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story in the Bible. We pray that you will just uh, embed these truths in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. And if you'd like to come and pray, feel free to do that.